Welcome, friends, to a special series on the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andrew Wong, and this is a podcast that is dedicated to exploring the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am honored to be a co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, a clinic in Washington, D.C. area, with a mission to create a global revolution in healthcare by educating, leading, and inspiring people towards optimal health and true well-being. One of the key modalities we utilize in our clinic to help patients and be of service is functional medicine. We are excited to offer you this series as an insightful look into functional medicine, otherwise known as root cause resolution medicine, and walking you through case studies that emphasize how we think about and approach holistic care with our patients. So let's introduce you to our uh, person today. Uh, Her name is Sarah, and she's a 35-year-old female. And her main issues are actually gut issues. So she, Sarah's been struggling with digestive issues for the past five years. Uh, she has a history of antibiotic use for recurrent urinary tract infections in her early 20s. She was also diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, by a gastroenterologist three years ago. And she also has a family history of some autoimmune diseases. These are diseases where the immune system is actually attacking proteins and structures in in her own body. You might have heard of some of these, including celiac disease and Crohn's disease in in her family. Sarah's symptoms includes that she frequently experiences bloating and gas and abdominal discomfort after meals. These are not really convenient things, especially if she's socializing or with her family or loved ones. She also is regularly constipated and has a bowel movement once every two days. So typically we would say, you know, having a daily bowel movement is a good thing to eliminate toxins and kind of keep things moving. She does, in addition to the constipation, have occasional loose stools for no known reason. So from a conventional perspective, we would identify this patient, Sarah, as someone with an IBS mixed picture, someone that has both kind of alternating constipation and diarrhea. She also has some mild eczema, so she has also what's called atopic dermatitis. She has some rashes in in different areas, like on her um, elbows or on her her thighs, sometimes on her belly. And then she does have low energy. This is something that's also been going on, kind of concurrent with with the bowel symptoms over the last five years. She's been also experiencing the last couple years acid reflux symptoms. These are typical heartburn symptoms where she feels a little bit of a burning a little bit of a sour throat, um, and this often happens after meals, and she often takes over-the-counter antacids like Tums and things like that for relief from that, for at least partial relief. In terms of lifestyle factors, which we typically ask every patient in terms of functional medicine, on her diet and nutrition, she does often eat on the go. She, um, You can see on the, the middle part there of this slide that she actually works as a paralegal at a busy law firm, so I'm sure they're working really hard. Um, so she's eating on the go, she's eating through lunch, things like that. She's not really stopping to, to sit down. Maybe she's actually walking down the hallway, processing emails while she's, you know, one hand on the, on the, uh, iPhone or, or cell phone and one hand on the, um, on the, on the snack that she's eating on the muffin and things like that. She's re- relying on prepackaged or processed foods and sugary snacks for energy, and she has limited fruit and vegetable intake. In terms of stress, again, working as a paralegal, she's rating her stress as an 8 out of 10. She is in a long-distance relationship and is often traveling to see her partner across time zones, which is also a stress on on the body's physiology uh, going across time zones. 
And in terms of movement, um, she's focusing mainly on cardio movement, things like treadmill or elliptical, does run um, two to three times a week and tries to get outside at least once a week. So we can talk first about how we would approach a patient like this from a functional medicine perspective. Again, just to recap, this patient has been struggling for, with digestive issues for about five years. We know that Hippocrates said that the gut is the root of health and the root of disease, to paraphrase Hippocrates. And we know that, you know, we know that Hippocrates, you know, was, is correct because really when you look at the gut, it is the main sort of barrier gatekeeper between the, uh, the outside world, the outside of the body, and the inside of the body. The digestive tract is a hollow lumen in which, you know, things get processed through there, not only things like food, but also medications and supplements and even toxins and bacteria and things like that. So things that are going to get in past that first barrier, that gut lining, will then go into the bloodstream. And then in the bloodstream, it can actually activate your immune system. There's different parts in the immune system, but essentially can cause both inside the gut, but also outside the gut in terms of different body symptoms, systems rather, different symptoms. So she has really, we kind of can look at this as kind of two two buckets of symptoms. She has gastrointestinal symptoms, which are things like the typical things you would you would see, uh, gas, bloating, abdominal discomfort, after meals, reflux. She has alternating constipation and diarrhea, although more constipation for her. But then she also has some extra GI or extra gastrointestinal symptoms, meaning that likely the inflammation and the imbalances are actually starting to spill outside the gut, so to speak, into the bloodstream, into the immune system activation. So this is where things like eczema would come up or energy. Other people might have joint pain or headaches or things like that. But she clearly has some systemic symptoms that are not just gastrointestinal because, again, the gastrointestinal tract is going to affect really the entire body. And this is one of the tenets of functional medicine is that the entire body is connected, right? When you ever played that game as a kid, for instance, operation, I think it's, yeah, operation, and every, like the hip bone is connected to the knee bone and, and you know, the toes connected to the calf and things like that, right? So this is kind of what the body truly is made of is all these connections and connecting the dots of physiology is what functional medicine is all about. So I would ask this patient, Sarah, really, a couple of things starting from the beginning of her life. Was she born by C-section? Was she born vaginally? And also another thing from a childhood history perspective is, did she have frequent ear infections or throat infections? Again, having some sort of antibiotic use there. Both the antibiotic use and potentially C-section use or kind of not having as much breast milk as a, as a child would potentially predispose to having less beneficial bacteria things like lactobacillus, bifidobacteria, other bacteria that help to, re- help to balance the immune uh, system. So basically, there's the gut, and then there's the immune system. And about 70% of your uh, immune system actually ends up living in your gut. So if the gut microbiome is off, so to speak, if there's an imbalance in the gut bacteria, if there's too many inflammatory bacteria, not as many of the kind of good or anti-inflammatory bacteria, that can lead to immune system issues. And immune system issues can actually lead to gut symptoms or even, like I said, extra GI symptoms like eczema or fatigue. So that's the first thing is kind of some more things about the history. Um, we want to ask her, you know, did she take probiotics with the antibiotics? And sometimes probiotics can help to rebalance the gut bacteria. 
um, after after taking antibiotics. Typically, we would recommend often to take probiotics for at least a month after after a course of antibiotics, for instance. Um, we do want to ask her a little bit more about her diet. She's on what we would call in um, in our country here a SAD diet or a standard American diet, S-A-D. Um, we could call it a SAD diet because really a SAD diet is a bad diet. Bad diet is low in fruits and vegetables, low in fiber. It's usually um, not very high in healthy fats and, and healthy proteins as much, but it's high in inflammatory and processed foods you know, what we often call even ultra-processed foods, things that have a high glycemic index where the blood sugar goes up, where um, maybe there's there's um, conventionally grown foods as well, which might have glyphosate, which will potentially damage the gut lining as well through something called the shikimate pathway, which affects the microbiome health. And then also we have to look at the type of food she's eating. You know, is she eating foods that tend to be highly allergenic or antigenic, things like gluten and dairy or sugar are kind of the top three that we often think of. There may be other ones as well. So kind of seeing, you know, basically if she can take a food journal or a food diary or at least write some things down, you know, are there correlations that she can start to come up with that might be able to impact her future behavior in terms of her nutrition? Um, For instance, if she said, well, I do you know, good with a salad and and salmon, and I do pretty well, I have less bloating. But then if I eat, say, something with dairy or gluten, like a pizza, right, and then I have digestive issues after that. So she can start to kind of get this, get a sense of what might be causing her more more inflammation. Uh, We can also look at, because she has a family history of celiac and Crohn's disease, we may want to, to start to, you know, rule that out or at least investigate that. There's some lab tests we can do that look at IBD extended panel, which is called inflammatory bowel disease extended panel, also celiac comprehensive panel. We do want to ask her also with the history of reflux, um, does she have any any um, significant abdominal discomfort after meals? In that situation, you have to think about ulcers, and, and you want to you want to make sure that you know, a lot of times with acid reflux in the functional medicine world, there's actually a sense of, okay, maybe she has too little stomach acid in the stomach, and that's actually opening up uh, the lower esophageal sphincter and making the acid go up, uh, refluxing more, I would say, in the esophagus and the larynx, which can cause things like heartburn and, and hoarse voice and um, sour mouth and things like that. So one of the things is we often will look at things like um, treating the patient with things like bitters or apple cider vinegar or even even, uh, hydrochloric acid or stomach acid supplements. But we may want to do this if she's having this reflex for several years, maybe only after going for her to see the the GI doctor, the gastrointestinal doctor again to do an endoscopy to look at that. So these are some of the questions kind of we would look at. Um, I think the biggest things are trying to figure out some of the antecedents, things that might have preceded some of her illness, some of the triggers, some of the food, some of the some of the stress too, right? She has lifestyle factors of of stress working as a paralegal, which I think is inherently stressful, but also that she's not really eating and sitting down and eating and relaxing, activating the relaxation response or the vagus nerve, which is a big part of that relaxation response that will activate the digestive enzymes and the motility that's needed to digest the food effectively. So another big thing is not only what is she eating, but how is she eating, who is she eating with? And sometimes even, and this goes a little bit beyond this case, but why is she eating? Is she eating for emotional nourishment? Is she eating kind of what's called emotional eating to uh, mitigate the stress? Or is she eating for nourishment of her body? So these are just some questions that we would often ask. Um, 
we may want to ask her, you know, when we talk about nutritional counseling about, okay, she's not eating many fruits and vegetables right now. Is it because of the stress? Is it because of the time limitations or food prep limitations? And if she were to eat that in a perfect world, if she had unlimited time and resources and she could buy what she wanted, what kind of fruits and vegetables would she be eating? What are her favorites, right? So we want to try to work with the patient and personalize this kind of nutritional plan and lifestyle plan for Sarah so it works for her and not for some, you know, cookie-cutter sort of recommendation that's based on sort of a, a guideline that doesn't take Sarah into account. So it's more patient-centered that way. Um, in addition to that, I would say on the lifestyle, the other thing is movement. We know that a combination of cardio and resistance training is better than cardiac alone for many things, including building up muscle mass. And I think we can see that when you build muscle, you also help with gut motility. I mean, this is a bit more um, of an aside, but looking at building up the abdominal muscles and things like that would often help motility, and she does have constipation. We know that one of the strongest anti-inflammatory treatments is actually exercise, but I think that, you know, sometimes cardio can actually exacerbate stress if it's what is called in, in some circles chronic cardio, where there's too much aerobic activity and not a lot of resistance training, then you basically have what favors a cat catabolic to anabolic ratio where the body and the bones and, and everything and muscles are breaking down. And you want to have this balance where you have some catabolic activity like cardio and then some anabolic activity where things are building up like bones, muscles, etc., and giving your body a chance to build those, build those um, muscles and bones up again. So these are some of the questions that, that we would ask her. Um, we often could ask her also what tests has she done before? Has she had any uh, workup from her conventional GI doctor? Has she had a workup from her conventional, say, primary care doctor? Has she had lab tests done? So that way we can kind of, again, personalize the recommendations and we're not repeating some of the things that have already been done. Um, so lifestyle factors, uh, what lifestyle factors would we give this patient. Now, it's interesting that when we look at functional medicine, functional medicine often has a reputation for using testing and deep dive lab testing. And often, this can be the difference between someone, you know, getting better and then still kind of wondering in the dark what's going on. However, that being said, lab tests do have limitations. So we do start with lifestyle recommendations for all of our patients because often lifestyle is really putting that person, that Sarah here, in charge of her own health. We often say here that you know, Sarah, hey, Sarah, you're the CEO of your own health and your immune system and your gut and your ability to heal innately, naturally, is really the strongest treatment you can have. So some of the things that are kind of lifestyle recommendations like getting more sleep, reducing stress, you know, improving her uh, nutrition, improving her movement, these things actually have, a, again, a very powerful anti-inflammatory effect, a powerful immune balancing effect. And we've seen some people in our clinic like, uh, like Sarah, for instance, that have had irritable bowel syndrome for years, and often it's with the lifestyle recommendations alone might be some of the biggest kind of uh, results, you know, from, from the lifestyle change. So I think it's really important to emphasize to, um, to patients and to Sarah here that, you know, a lot of these things are within her control, or at least, you know, she can try to start with these. And, you know, often, again, uh, these small changes can make, you know, outsized differences in, in her health outcomes. So uh, lifestyle recommendation, I would start with something that's very simple in terms of breathing. Again, when you breathe deeply, and especially when you breathe kind of either as much or more on the exhale than the inhale, I, I start with something called a 555 breathing, which is five seconds in, 
five seconds holding the breath and then five seconds out. And if she does it for six cycles, that's going to help balance her autonomic nervous system, which basically translates to say that it's going to help her gut. It's going to help her digest. So if she can do this breathing, ideally in the morning and the evening, but then also before her meal would be really nice. Again, activating that relaxation response, getting that digestive system online again. Um, if you think about your digestive tract as a uh, maybe like a computer or as you know something that's helping you out, you wouldn't want to use your computer if you didn't turn it on already, right? So you want to turn it on by activating that relaxation system by breathing. That that's the first thing, you know. And then I think the second thing is really chewing her food. You know, chewing the food can activate the digestive enzyme amount by twenty percent. It can activate the uh, salivary amylase, and that also brings the signal down to your stomach, increasing stomach acid, which then is going to increase some of the downstream um, enzymes like amylase and lipase, and um, also help um, release the bile from the gallbladder where it's stored. So again, these things are going to be helpful really to digest um, carbohydrates and fats. And then, of course, the stomach acid is very helpful. And stomach acid is suppressed with stress. So stomach acid is going to help digest proteins, break them down to amino acids that can be used for many things like neurotransmitters or amino acids that are going to be helped to build up your muscles or enzymes that are going to help to run your entire system. So no proteins, no amino acids, no amino acids, no building blocks for you to survive and thrive. So you really want to have, you know, we're going to say to Sarah, you know, she really wants to have these stress under control, so to speak, so that she can really digest her food effectively, whatever she is eating, whether it's a salmon salad or whether it's a a pizza. Um, Either way, you know, managing that stress is going to help. Um, I would think about, you know, movement during lunchtime if she can, you know, get up for a walk as well. After lunchtime, that would be nice as a minimum. Um, And then, you know, continuing her cardio, but then um, adding some resistance training to help build her muscles and bones and give give her that kind of that building back of anabolic um, activity in addition to the catabolic activity that she's already getting with the cardio and the running. Um, And then often we recommend something called an elimination diet and functional medicine, this can be very helpful. And there's different forms of this, and I'm not really an expert in this, but I would often refer out for this to one of our team. But an elimination diet is going to eliminate some of the top foods that might be inflammatory, that might be causing her irritable bowel syndrome. And often this alone with lifestyle nutrition is enough to reduce her IBS symptoms and reduce her um, things like uh, eczema um, and increase her... uh, her energy. Now, let's talk real quick about eczema because, you know, I know that we're all uh, very interested in skin health here. And there is actually a gut-skin connection. There's the health of the gut microbiome influences the health of the skin microbiome. And the levels of inflammation in the gut often correlate with the levels of inflammation in the whole system, including the skin. So we often see that eczema or psoriasis or acne or things like that get better with nutritional changes with gut microbiome improvements. So it's important to know that from a functional medicine lens, when you have a skin issue, you automatically have to think about your gut health as well. Uh, So those are some of the lifestyle recommendations. Just to kind of keep it simple and wrap up on this, I would say, you know, breathe a little more slowly before a meal. Maybe give, give some gratitude if that's 
if that's helpful. And then I would I would do that, and then I would also consider chewing, you know, 20 to 30 chews per bite just to slow down that digestion and improve the enzyme and digestive capacity for that person. And then consider an elimination diet. We typically talk about at least at the minimum gluten, dairy, sugar. There could be other factors, other foods like eggs and um, nuts and different things for different people, but I think those are some of the top things, and then we would often refer to to some of our team here. Um, in terms of testing, there's a lot of different tests that, that we could do with bloating and sort of upper tract symptoms, upper GI tract symptoms. We think about a test called a SIBO test or a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth test. So this is a breath test. It's usually utilizing a sugar such as lactulose or glucose. Um, these are basically uh, substances that you drink, um, and, and they do taste sugary. I've, I've tried this test before myself. And basically, they they help to kind of activate the bacteria that are in the small bowel, and the small bowel bacteria are going to then produce some gas. So there's two major type of gases that are on the test. One is called hydrogen, one's called methane. There's another um, test that we use that, that uses those two class gases and then adds on a third gas called hydrogen sulfide, which we often use if someone has, say, IBS or suspected SIBO, but those two gases on that first test are negative. We'll use that third test and that has the three gases. But basically, that's a test we could consider for her um, based on her symptoms, her history of antibiotic use. She likely has low stomach acid based on her reflux. She has some bloating and gas, and we know that a lot of the symptoms are are, uh, of of um, of IBS are actually caused by gut microbiome imbalances, which can be affected by nutrition and stress and all the other things, hormone imbalances, etc. So, SIBO test would be something I would I would consider. We also know that she's regularly constipated, and so constipation is actually something that can be caused by uh, methanobacter, which is a type of methane uh, producing um, bacteria. I think it's called Methanobacter smithii. So, um, don't ask me to spell that on spelling bee, but that's basically what it is. Um, and then we can also look at, in terms of functional testing, we'll look at uh, often what's called a functional stool test. It's basically a stool microbiome test that also analyzes things like enzyme activity and inflammation and immune health markers, really taking a deep dive into the gut microbiome as a whole. So that's a stool test. It's a poop test that you do at home. Kind of joke with people that you just take this French fry basket that they give you, you put your stool in there in the privacy of your own home, and then you basically you know take a sample of that. You want to get it from, I think, different parts of the stool. So if you do that test at home, you're getting it from the edge, you're getting it from the center of the stool, you're getting it from different areas. Um, but that can be a really, really helpful test. Um, the one we use is typically, it uses something called um, PCR technology or polymerase chain reaction technology. So to look at DNA sequences of various bacteria, viruses, and other organisms and amplify that, that's called um, PCR. Um, so that's that can be a very helpful test to you to use. From a perspective of, you know, basic labs, we Often we'll get a basic lab panel, things like liver test, kidney test. We'll look at maybe markers of inflammation, maybe CRP, which is C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker. Certainly, like I said before, celiac markers, uh, Crohn's markers, you know, things like that to see if there's any potential for inflammatory bowel disease there or celiac disease, respectively. And then 
I think I would also consider thyroid testing for a patient with constipation and bloating and gas. Low thyroid or also called hypothyroidism can often cause some of these same symptoms that she might have, low energy and constipation and bloating, you know, kind of not moving things through, kind of the slow metabolism, slow metabolism, right? That's that's considered, you know, a potential hypothyroid uh, series of symptoms. Um, reflux can also be caused by hypothyroidism as well. So I think all these things can be really, really helpful. Um, kind of down the line, maybe in round two, we might think about something called food sensitivity tests. So these are tests that look at potentially both food allergies, which are IgE-mediated, which is an antibody called IgE, otherwise called immediate hypersensitivity, but also IgG, which is delayed hypersensitivity. There's also another marker that we've started using now called uh, C3D, which is complement 3D, and it's another type of immune reaction. So basically, the, the, the bottom line is the immune system is complex, and there's a lot of different types of reactions that can happen with foods, and sometimes it's hard to really um, understand or figure out you know, what someone's reacting to. Some, some foods may trigger a reaction in zero to four hours, which is considered immediate. Um, some are considered you know, more delayed, which is four to 72 hours classically. So there's, there's all these things happening. Um, I think the only other thing I would think about would be potentially um, probably after gastro a GI or gastroenterology referral for endoscopy would be a Heidelberg test, which is a stomach acid test that can look at whether the stomach acid is high or low, whether there's pyloric insufficiency, which is another issue that might be causing some of the, the issues for her. So a, a lot of deep dive tests. And the bottom line is, you know, usually these gut symptoms are not random. The body's all connected. We have to look at the gut, but also the rest of the body to take a really comprehensive approach, a functional medicine approach to uh, treating, uh, to diagnosing and um, investigating and, and treating uh, Sarah. And then, um, you know, we also use a team approach. One of the most well-known, uh, one of the was considered the founder of functional medicine, Dr. Jeff Bland, actually famously famously said at one of the conferences I attended, he said, uh, "Never treat a patient in isolation. Don't think you can be a cowboy or cowgirl or cow person, meaning uh, that we're gonna pilot." you know, we're going to do everything for that patient or, you know, we'll be the only practitioner. So I think it's really important to stay humble and realize that there's a lot of different integrated practitioners, conventional practitioners that could really benefit uh, Sarah here. So certainly a GI doctor, making sure she has a primary care doctor on the conventional end. I think functionally, a functional medicine specialist, a functional nutrition specialist could be really, really helpful for Sarah. Um, I think from a stress management and immune perspective, I would consider for sure acupuncture and myofascial release, which is a special type of soft tissue and mind-body practitioner that um, can really help uh, people to balance their immune system and their energy and things like that. Um, so there's a lot of people that we could consider, certainly physical therapy as well, because physical therapy can be really helpful, especially if someone is more in that chronic cardio category and not really doing a bunch of strength training or may not know how to use the weights and the, the deadlifts and things like that. So I think all these practitioners can work in harmony and synergy with each other to really help treat Sarah in a proactive, preventative, and personalized way. And then what are our take-home points for Sarah? So I would say, you know, people, including myself, can only remember three things at a time, you know, and that's why that's why I think, um, uh, you know, keeping it simple is, is really important because for retention of information and so that she has a sense of what, 
she can actually do, you know, practically. So maybe maybe for her from a lifestyle perspective, um, and maybe she's really, um, you know, maybe her boss is working her too hard and she's really stressed out and she can't, let's pretend that she can't, she doesn't want to change her diet or doesn't have the, the time and energy to do that. So if she does, maybe we'll just say one thing, which is to take out sugar. Okay, we'll just do one thing like that and refer her to a functional nutritionist. But if she even can't do that, then we'll just say, okay, Sarah, well, let's just have you chew your food and sit down while you eat and see if that helps your IBS symptoms. So I think the first thing to do is to be more mindful of of the nutrition and maybe take a little bit of a, a breather, uh, literally a breather. Uh, so she's uh, taking some deep breaths before breathing and chewing, uh, deep breaths before eating, I should say, and then chewing her food and potentially eliminating uh, sugar and see if that helps reduce the IBS symptoms. Um, so I, I think sort of lifestyle change would be would be the first thing. Number two, um, I would say because she has a, a history of of reflux and IBS and, and things like that, you know, maybe we do want her to go to see a GI doctor to get an endoscopy to rule out ulcers, especially with the abdominal discomfort after meals, at least to, just to get that evaluation. Again, we work with conventional medicine and we do some of that ourselves. We don't kind of work against the medical system. It's all about what is in the best service of the patient. So I think that's that's a second thing. And number three, I think on the functional you know aspect, it's really a toss-up for me between SIBO and, and a stool test. Um, I tend to favor a stool test a little more than SIBO because it, it, to me it gives us more information and it often can give us underlying reasons why someone might have SIBO. So um, I would favor a functional stool test in the situation. Uh, and then based on that, you can kind of take some other steps that are kind of based on the testing and how how Sarah is doing when you do your follow-up with her in terms of lifestyle changes and we'll see how she's doing with that. Um so making sure she sees her her practitioners, making sure that she kind of gets a functional stool test, and then having her do some simple lifestyle changes is, is what I would do first. Um, after that, because I know I know we're talking about the top three, but you know we do we do want to look at things like some basic lab tests, like liver tests, kidney tests, uh, thyroid tests, you know, all of those type of things. So and and that's another thing. Sometimes again, people are very busy, and you know they they can't deal with even lifestyle changes. So I might just say to Sarah, hey, just go get your labs done and then we'll follow up with that. So little baby steps, again, uh, the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step and it's really that single step to take that you know starts that healing journey for Sarah. So I hope this was helpful for you and uh, kind of giving an intro to kind of how we think about in terms of the functional medicine world uh, for gut health. And we'll see you soon on another episode. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. A quick reminder that the information we share on this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We highly recommend that you speak to a qualified healthcare provider before making any medical or healthcare decisions. If you enjoy this episode, please take a few moments to subscribe and leave us a review. Your reviews help us reach more people and continue to offer innovative insights and information to better optimize your health and wellness.